Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим Святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
The book of James, chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. According to these words, God gives more grace to only those people who submit to him and then receives the legal right and authority to withstand the devil. Thus, humility in this case is yielded as submission to God, obedience to God, and resistance to devil, whereas pride is yielded as resistance to God and submission to devil. According to this, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, or gives grace to the proud which looks at which is seen as life in abundance we need to note that every aspect in our life that is found under curse was redeemed by us from God however many centuries ago However, for this redemption to gain power for us on our end, we need to, in each individual aspect in which we observe the presence of curse, we need to make two important, we need to do two important things in the same order in which they are told to us. First, we need to submit to God, and then we need to resist the devil, because it is impossible to resist the devil in the subject of a certain curse if we, in this sphere, have not yet submitted to God. For example, if we express uh, disobedience to God in the offering of tithes and we do not demonstrate faithfulness in what is little, we do not submit to God and we become thieves. But when we, and when we do not submit to God in the sphere of finance and at the same time try to withstand devil in their lack, and in their logical use, then nothing will work. If we act toward our finances in accordance to what is written in the Holy Scripture, scripture then the sphere of finances will be freed from under curse. To be found under curse in the sphere of finance means to depend on money. To exit curse means to not depend on money. It doesn't mean that we need to have a lot of them. This means that we don't need to depend on them. Curse is always comprise the fact that we are dependent on something that is evil in the eyes of God. And therefore, until we are found dependent on money, then despite the amount that we have, we will be found under curse in the sphere of finances. But as soon as we, through our voluntary and joyful offering of tithes, we are released from the dependence on money, then this Despite how much we have, we are freed from curse in the sphere of finances. With regard to this, I want to remind you of one thing, that that which we depend on attaches us to itself and it rules over us, and that which depends on us is tied to us. And this is an unchanging spiritual principle. Money is the equivalent of material riches, which can serve as a high spiritual goal and transform into riches that are imperishable. 
Therefore, in that level in which we are going to be free from и размер, как мы знаем, этот как для богатых, так и для бедных один. Десятая часть от всякого денежного дохода. Мы признаем, потому что есть разные собрания, которые For the better, only for the worse. We are going to sing a song together and we are going to honor God with tithes and offerings. Let us stand. This is our opportunity to cut the root of all evil, which is love for money, because each time we honor God voluntarily with joy, understanding what we are doing, that we are affirming ourselves as tithes, that we are belonging to God. If we do not honor God in tithes, in doing so, we say that we are not the belonging of God. And each time we do this, we honor God, we acknowledge His authority over us, and we express our love to Him. Therefore, let us sing together. They'll remind you that each time when Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, he was called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received in the revelation from God, to raise his hands on his offerings and to proclaim before God one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand as a symbol of your righteous act over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. I have separated tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give in purely. I did not give in sorrow. And I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority in according to your word. I ask you right now may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
And so those of you who have a Bible, you could open along with me a familiar place of scripture to us that contains very much that is still unknown to us. Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. To look at the foundation of our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who, by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the contents of the order present in the teaching of Christ. In studying this place of Scripture, we decided to use a more perfect and closer to the truth version of this translation, a more expanded version. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, Sprinkling yourselves with the reigning teachings of Christ and having been clothed in the armor of light contained in the reign of this teaching, let us go on to perfection and build ourselves to the house of God, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Each of the four teachings, as we know, possesses in itself a triplicity of various functions that determine the unearthly order of the kingdom of heaven and determine in their totality the role of the twelve teachings of Christ who came in the flesh. In a certain format, as far as God and the measure of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined the doctrine of baptism and its three functions, baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, as well as the doctrine of laying on of hands and three functions in the covenant of blood, salt, and rest. And therefore, we turn to studying the doctrine of resurrection of the dead, which in Scripture is presented in the dimension of the western side of heavenly Jerusalem in a combination of three gates. We have noted that the doctrine of resurrection contains in itself three levels of births, which in their union are defined by Scripture as being born of God. This is birth from water, birth from spirit, and birth to the throne. In a certain format, in the doctrine of resurrection, we have already studied the level of birth from water and spirit, and therefore let us continue to study the powers found in birth to the throne. She bore a male child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Revelation 12, 15. We have noted that in the four foundations of the walls of heaven and Jerusalem, birth to the throne is the ninth foundation, and this ninth foundation is made of the precious topaz stone. Topaz, the name of this stone, refers us to the Sanskrit tapas, meaning heat emanating from the shining rays of the sun, or to the Greek topazos, which translates as search, search of these rays. The full meaning contained in the functions of topaz is the search for the shining rays of the sun, warming life and growing the seed of the kingdom. 
For example, in the visions shown to the prophet Daniel, which contained the secret of the end times, the prophet saw a man who spoke to him on behalf of the Most High, whose body was like topaz, and the appearance of his face was like lightning. In a certain way, the influence of this nine foundation made of topaz will be activated and manifest its authority in the last days, when God will stand up to protect the remnant of his people who are in great humiliation, humiliation from the wicked who call themselves seekers of God. Furthermore, the precious topaz stone out of which the ninth foundation of the wall of heaven and Jerusalem was made, in which is found on the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, we can conclude that when God builds a relationship with a person through the powers contained in birth to the throne, he will turn to man with the voice that comes from the warning, warming fire of Topaz, which in this foundation will be presented by the Apostle named James, the son of Alphaeus. The twelve apostles are these, the ninth, James, the son of Alphaeus, Matthew 10, 2-3. If you've paid attention, then on the third foundation that presented the powers contained in fire baptism, the name James was also engraved, but with one difference. Fire baptism was presented by James the son of Zebedee, whereas birth to the throne is presented by James the son of Alphaeus. And this is rather lawful, for a person to use the powers contained in fire baptism, it was necessary for him to first be born to the throne. Only one who is born to the throne can inherit the throne. Because God can make a covenant of rest and fire baptism only with a person who is born to the throne. Because of which, only those who are born to the throne and have entered into a covenant of rest upon fire baptism can acknowledge and fulfill the perfect will of the Heavenly Father is contained in the teaching of eternal judgment. And so, as far as we know, the name James means he holds on to his heel, he will take captive, he will leave a mark, he will protect and he will win. While the name of Jacob's father in this foundation is Alphaeus, which means famous or distinctive, both in appearance and in content. Therefore, joined together, the names James and Alphaeus in combination means God will create total victory over the enemies of his chosen remnant, will clothe him in royal garments, will give him a throne of glory, and make him distinctive in all nations and peoples. In a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied the functions contained in the name James Alphaeus, which in the heart of a person is yielded as a distinctive sign of the throne, where for each of the sides there is a role that cannot be exchanged or fulfilled by someone else. And so to cooperate with God in building in our heart the ninth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, it is necessary for us to not just study the functions, or it is necessary for us to study the functions containing the powers of birth to the throne. And of course, in the format of this sermon, it is impossible to unveil all functions of relations with God that are called to flow only in the format of birth to the throne. However, in certain components, I will try to mention the important functions and powers that are contained in the format of the teaching that yields birth to the throne. First, the function contained in the powers of birth to the throne will be expressed in goodness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verses 6 through 7 and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Obviously on the throne we're talking about the throne. Um, he sat us together in heavenly places that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his goodness toward us in Christ Jesus. To be seated in heaven and in Christ Jesus through resurrection with Christ is in practice to be born in the resurrection of Christ to the throne on which God is seated. To attribute this promise to all saints without exception means to lead them to delusion. For example, you can tell a, per a black person all you want that he is white, or on the contrary, a white person that he is black. However, a white person by his own conviction will not become black, and a black person will not become white. To make this kind of conviction, it is necessary to look at your own origin, or rather your roots. If your roots are black according to their origin, then you can be convinced that you are black. It is a crime and a lie to convince a person that he is seated in heaven in Christ Jesus if he is, is not born to the throne. Undoubtedly, speaking of spiritual things, a person born of water has such an opportunity, provided that he allows God, or rather, will work with him, so that God, who revived him from water, would in the same way revive him from the spirits into the throne. In this place of scripture, goodness in Christ Jesus is a kind of treasury and function of God in Christ, through which God demonstrates for those born to the throne the abundant riches of his grace. There is a level of the goodness of God that he demonstrates in the format of birth from water, and there is a level of the goodness of God that he demonstrates in the format of birth from the Spirit. However, these levels will differ from one another in the price of their contents as well as the power of their expression. To be seated with Christ on his throne, it is necessary to be born to the throne. And then, to come to a maturity and pay a coinciding price for the right to be seated on this throne. Even someone who is born to the throne will not be allowed to the throne right away. To be born to the throne does not mean to sit on it. For this purpose, it is necessary to distinguish, as we talked about, the gift of grace from the fruit of grace, because the, there are things that we are called to receive by the gift of grace, and there are things that we are called to receive by the fruit of grace, which we receive in the seed. And the growth of this seed, or the drying of it, or will it be surrounded by thorns or eaten by birds, will depend not on the gift of grace, but how we will behave toward the growth того, of the fruit. Romans chapter 6, verses 22 through 23. But now, having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. Again, this is your fruit. This is not the gift of God. Your fruit is holiness. The result of this fruit will be everlasting life, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God in the format of eternal life in Christ Jesus has freed us from the authority of sin. However, the fruit of holiness is an effort made on the part of a person, which is a person's response to his deliverance from sin, or it's his gratitude to God for his deliverance from sin. Matthew 11, Paul says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence take it by force. That which a person has taken it by force, he will never say, this is the gift of God. He's going to say, this is fruit. This is the fruit of my labor, my force. 
Therefore, to be born from water and the Spirit, it is necessary to acknowledge and cooperate with the doctrine of birth from water and Spirit. Just as it is to be born to the throne, it is necessary to acknowledge and cooperate with the doctrine of birth to the throne. The third, or the second function contained in the powers of birth to the throne, is called to make a covenant with God that is eternal, firm, and immutable, which yields the essence of the covenant of rest. Second Samuel 23, verses 4-7 through These are the statements of a king, King David. Jesus said that he is the root of this king and he is the stem of this king. And here is what he says. He shall be the, like the light of the morning when the sun rises, morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. And therefore, a covenant that is firm and immutable and birth to the throne contains a guarantee that the name of a person with whom God made a covenant will never be blotted out of the book of life. Until a person makes this kind of a covenant and will not enter into it, the opportunity to blot out his, book, his name of the Book of Life is, is great. Revelation 3, 5 through 6, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the Book of Life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not all can listen to this or hear this. Only those who have ears, the ears of their hearts. The guarantee their names will not be blotted in the book of life is the guarantee of a rapture upon the morning star. The realization of this covenant and birth to the throne occurs upon the rising of the sun when in the cloudless sky the tender grass springs out of the earth after the rain. This is an image, this is a parable. David says, he shows an image, what birth to the throne does, in which he made a firm and immutable covenant with God. Grass is food for small and large livestock, without which he will not be able to grow and will starve to death. By this herb in the soil of our heart is meant the seed of the word of God in the subject of an imperishable inheritance in Christ Jesus. And our flock that feed from this grass is our pure, renewed thinking, without which this grass cannot grow and will die. What must a person overcome and do so that in his heart this kind of grass in the light of the morning can grow? So that this grass or this seed of the word of God can grow. David figuratively defines these conditions in his relations with the wicked, which he, in this prophetic inspiration, calls thrown-out thorns. And he throws them out of the soil of his heart. We're not talking about some kind of field. He specifically talks about his field from his field, and his own field, and his heart, and he throws these 
swords out of them without touching them, but he is armed with a rod and with a shaft of a spear, and then with fire he burns these thorns in place. I hope that I won't take too long to prove that in this parable, thorns are not only the seduction of wealth, as Christ has said, it is the seduction of wealth, but it is also the emissaries of mammon who preach prosperity as a necessary element of the will of God, allegedly bringing freedom from the spirit of poverty. The fact that David does not touch them with his hand indicates that he is withdrawn from communication with such people, and the fact that he is armed against them with the rod or a spear suggests that he opposes this teaching with freedom from the root of all evil in slavery to righteousness, which inherits the wealth that is imperishable and unfading. By the way, in the book of Revelation, before it says that he overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and that his name will, be, will not be blotted out of the book of life and confessed before the Heavenly Father and before his angels, it is also said that it is necessary to overcome in order to receive the guarantee of rapture contained in the authority to be born to the throne. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, uh, that you have a name, that you are alive, that you are dead. You watch hold, strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard, therefore if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Yet a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Garments are defiled when we change our priorities, when we begin to take the principles with which we must achieve our search for God, but we take these same principles of faith, figurative thinking, and we begin to achieve material prosperity by considering it as a, as a deity, by leading it to a kind of level of relations with God that this is superior, that this is the will of God. When people do this, they die. And God says that um, almost all from this teaching are dead. We watch for strengthening the things which remain because this is the flesh, it does not use the heavenly blessings, it doesn't understand them, it does not eat them. It does not eat this grass or the seed of the Word of God, it cannot be fed by this. We are fed by completely different things. For our spirit, we need that grass that is upon the the light of the morning after rain, when we make a covenant with God, firm and immutable, ordered in all things secure, and this inner person is where God dwells. And of course, a person in the body tries to, for some reason, attribute to himself all of that which belongs to the Spirit, and he tries to not see these blessings in God, and, and he tries to attain this in a different way, and he tries to convince others of this as well. The third function contained in the powers of rich the throne is called to shepherd all people with a rod of iron. Revelation 12, 1-5. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being a child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. This is a parable. This vision is a parable. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. Diadems are, are crowns, they are royal crowns. 
His tail, or the tail of this red dragon, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And a dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. Take a look at what interests him. It's not the woman who is clothed in the sun, under whose feet is the moon, and on her head a garland of twelve stars, who wants to devour her child. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. We know that a rod is an image of authority that is contained in proclamation with our lips, the faith of God contained in our hearts. Isaiah 11, 4-5 But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. God won't do this on his own. He is going to do this through this male child. God doesn't do anything on his own on earth after he has created man. Everything that God does, he is going to do through those who are in the likeness of him. Only through them. That's why it said that first the child will rule with the rod of iron, he will rule all nations with the rod of iron, and then God, does God do this through this child? Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his ways. Upon proclaiming the faith of God, our word becomes equal in power and weight to the words of God that come from the mouth of God. We proclaim the word of God, we don't proclaim our own word. We proclaim not just what we have heard, but we proclaim the word. The word that has fallen into our, into our soil, which we have protected and watered, and God grew, in which God has grown. And the fruits of this word is what we proclaim, the fruit of this word that we have grown. And not just, I'm taking it, I'm trampling, I'm this, I'm that. No. It is the fruit, the fruit of our lips, and not simply naked words. Why do you tell me, Lord, Lord, but you don't know me? Lord, Lord must be founded on the fulfillment of my statutes, he says. Not just that. You can't just come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, has to have a foundation. I repeat that the book of Revelation of John, which consists of descriptions of a special kind of visions, as well as the visions of the Old Testament prophets, are allegories. To perceive these allegories as literal, as foolish and unreasonable, and to interpret them with our own mind is criminal. Considering that any intervention of God in the affairs of the earth and the affairs of a particular person, and in the same way in the affairs of states, this is the joint cooperation of a new man with God, who is similar to the image of the Son of God. It follows that the fulfillment of any vision is a joint work of God with a person like him. Any kind of vision that is written in Scripture, it can be fulfilled only thanks to the cooperation of the new man with God. But in order for it to be fulfilled, the new man must understand this vision. God must reveal it to him, otherwise how is he going to cooperate with God? And so before doing any kind of work, God will reveal this work to his prophets who are clothed in his royal dignity, because the rod of God is called to be the lips of prophets. Amos 3, 3-8 Can two walk together unless they are agreed? We are talking about God and man because only mutually can they do some kind of work on earth 
Here is also an image. Little lion will ruin the forest when he has no prey. Little young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing. Little bird fall into a snare on the earth. Where there is no trap for it, will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught up, caught nothing at all. This is the idea that if you don't know what you are working with, how can you cooperate? This is what this is referring to. If a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people be afraid? Why is the people not afraid? Because they don't understand the sound of the trumpet. They don't know the sound of God. It said, blessed are those who know the sound of the trumpet. They walk in the light of your face. Is there a calamity in a city? Will not the Lord have done it? All the wars that occur on our planet Earth, they are not just like that. This is God doing this. You don't need to blame presidents and some kind of specific groups or parties of people. God has allowed for them to reap what they have sowed. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servant, the prophet. A lion has roared, you will not fear, the Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Ezekiel says, in the name of the Lord God of Israel, I the angels of the Lord had aided Ezekiel in overcoming Pharaoh, and this victory came through holy prophets. When God speaks and he speaks to his prophet, this is what God had said. Can you after this say, no, Lord, send somebody else. Let him proclaim this. Every holy person who accepts the prophet and obeys his word becomes a participant in bringing the will of God into fulfillment and receives one reward with the prophet. This is what God has done. This doesn't mean that all the, re the reward will go to the prophet. God has uplifted this prophet in his body so that he can unite his whole body in, him, in, in them. Not just prophets alone, because when a prophet does this, and those saints who, who see, who understand, who listen, who participate in his life, they first participate in the fulfillment of God's judgment, and, and then second, they receive one reward with him. Matthew 10.41, he who receives a prophet, the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Of course, any vision is multifaceted and multifunctional. It is designed and capable of simultaneously solving different problems. So, for example, this vision, which was shown to John in the face of the woman who gave birth to a male child, several problems and several solutions are presented. In the image of this woman, the definition of the degree of birth to the throne is shown, with a one-time participation in this degree of the previous degrees, birth from water and birth from the spirit, and also the definition of the categories of saints related to these degrees. However, in 
The woman clothed in the sun under her feet is the moon, and on her head the crown of twelve stars is an image of that category of saints which have seals in their nature and the dignity of all three degrees of righteousness which they receive thanks to the three degrees of birth, from water, from the spirit, and to the throne. The sun which clothes the woman is an image of the seal of righteousness and the dignity of holy unto the Lord, which a person receives when he makes a covenant of blood with God in the baptism of water. Holy unto the Lord. Take a look at how this shines. God adorns her in the sun to show that this is mine. She is mine. The sign of this dignity is the evidence of birth from water, which gives a person all the powers and privileges related to his high and noble origin. Origin from the heritage of God. The moon under the feet of the woman is an image of the seal of righteousness and the dignity. The Lord knows those who are His, which a person receives when he makes a covenant of salt with God in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The sign of this dignity is a testimony of the birth from the Spirit, which gives a person all the powers and privileges related to his high and noble origin, to practice truth in matters of justice, and to sanctify God in deeds and sanctification. The crown of twelve stars on the woman's head is an image of the seal of righteousness and the dignity of the Lord is there. He lives there, he dwells there, he has been comforted there, in this city, in this man. And a person receives the seed when he makes a covenant of rest with God in baptism and fire. The sign of his dignity is the evidence of birth to the throne, which gives a person all the powers and privileges that serve as the distinctive regalia of his high and noble origin to sit on the throne of Christ with Christ. The crown of twelve stars is the image of the twelve teachings that determine the order of the kingdom of heaven, making this teaching distinguishable from all other teachings that claim to be salvation. The woman was with child and cried out in labor and pain to give birth. This is an image of the price for the right to sit on the throne of Christ with Christ. You have been with me in my trials, and I will give to you the kingdom to judge and sit on the throne to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. The male child is an image of the star, bright in morning, that is a guarantee that this person will be raptured before the day of the Lord arrives, that great and fearful day. However, furthermore, in this vision we are met with the image of the dragon, that poses great danger to this child. This is the promise. This is the guarantee of rapture. I believe that each of us at least once heard the interpretation of the image of the dragon. We were likely told that, and this is, I grew up in Christianity, 
And I had no idea I'd gone to school, but I heard when the brothers or sisters sat together and they talked about when somebody great had come and they were always talking about who this red dragon was. And I always looked at them thinking, red dragon, who is this red dragon? And they were told that this is the communist regime, or they told it, they said that this is the communist regime, which in its symbolism was predominantly red. And even um, Europe and people in America, they were certain that the Red Dragon is the former Soviet Union. However, the communist regime has sunk into oblivion, and it was replaced by other world dictatorial regimes, the symbols of which are painted in all colors of the rainbow and not just red. There's yellow and blue and, and purple and red, all the colors. So, who, after all, has resisted in all ages, opposes today, and will continue to resist to the end of the century, the saints who have guarantees of rapture upon the morning star? It should be noted that in this vision, the tale of the red dragon had incredible success in dragging a third of the stars along with it and throwing them to the ground. Let me remind you of one ancient edition related to dragon, which clearly refers to God's adversary Satan. This definition consists in the fact that the fallen cherubim has lost its dignity, due to which he lost all the colors that once determined his dignity. Remember that this is, this is a thing that has, has no color. All colors belong to God in which he dresses his servants and his children. Satan can appropriate, copy, and represent these colors only on one condition, if one of the children of God voluntarily transfers his merits to him, transfers these colors to him. The red dragon is not a political system, but a prosperity teaching that determines earthly glory and fame. Seven heads on which there are seven royal crowns, this is a kind of forgery of the standard of perfection because perfection is in the number seven, which is expressed in the fact that material prosperity by the emissaries of Mammon is proposed as a definition of freedom from the spirit of property. The ten horns are a forgery of the doctrine of holiness. Ten is the element of holiness, which is expressed in the fact that you love everyone without exception, sometimes including Satan. I told you one time before, without naming his name, uh, there is a big Pentecostal church neighboring us, us Russians, and the pastor of this church told me, I believe that God will save even Satan, and if God does not save Satan, then he is not love, and therefore he is not omnipotent. And when I began to go challenge him on that, he said, I thought, I thought you were wise. I thought you understood this the same way. I don't believe in eternal hell, he says. I believe that all of this will, all of this will pass and God will restore everything. And I asked, well, how come then we are in turmoil, we are fighting sin? And he said, we sin, you'll still be saved. But can you imagine when these kind of leaders leave churches? Where are they going to lead them to? And I said, why don't you preach this from a pulpit? He said, this is only for the wise. This is meant only for the wise. That's why directly they're not going to preach this because people are going to be scared and they're going to throw them out. They know that there is heaven and hell and that these positions are eternal. They are unchanging.
Поэтому with which they direct their bodies in the direction they need, whether it be a snake, whether it be a crocodile, to direct them, their bodies, they use their tails. But we know what a tail is. It's, it's the tongue. The tail is a figurative de definition of the dragon's mouth by which it is controlled and which controls its messengers. The dragon's tail are the emissaries of Satan in the face of false teachers and false prophets who portray the idea of the dragon from the teachings of Christ. The third part of the stars that he threw to the ground are precisely the false apostles, teachers and prophets who were previously stars and then turned into the trail of Satan. In the same way that he once succeeded in capturing a third of the angels with him, he led the goats along with him, which in turn led the sheep with him, and transformed them into the wicked who think that the doctrine of piety is meant to serve for financial success. 1 Timothy 6, 5-10 Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is the means of gain, from such withdraw yourself. The doctrine of godliness they preach as a doctrine that serves as a means of gain. What does scripture say? Depart from withdraw yourself. What did David do? He didn't take it with his hands. He put on garments, he took upon the iron, and he had thrown out all these things. When you, when there is contentment for gain, you are grateful to God for what you have. And you allow God, if he wants to give you more, he will. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the truth in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The fact that the dragon stood before the woman who was to give birth, so that, then, so that when she gives birth he could devour the child, means that the main enemy of the doctrine of prosperity presented by him as perfection and freedom is such a doctrine of perfection which is expressed in the inheritance of the morning star, representing a guarantee of the rapture in an inheritance that is clean and pure. That's why this is the main enemy of the dragon. He doesn't pay attention to all of the other teachings, um, to all of the other promises. He pays attention to only that infant, that child, to rapture. Because in this rapture is great riches. The fact that the baby was caught up to God in his throne indicates that before the literal rapture of the Lamb's bride takes place, those born to the throne will be seated in heaven with Christ. We, right now, we're not separated, the woman and the child, this is her promise, and he is seated. This means that we, in real time, being here, are going to feel the authority of the throne. 
Мы будем брать оттуда эту власть. Вот о чем здесь говорится. Благодаря такой позиции их уста что на практике не способны будут уже сделать это, которые ранее согревали когда King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. He couldn't get warm from those garments that he was covered with, and his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the King, and let her stand before the King and let her care for him. And let her lie in your bosom, and that our Lord, the King, may be warm. Topaz, the warmth, we're talking about this, this warmth, we're talking about this foundation. So they, brought, they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag, the Shunammite, Just like Esther was found from all the limits of the kingdom of Artaxerxes, this woman, Abishag, was found and brought to the king. The young woman was very lovely, not just beautiful, but very, very lovely. And she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. This is one of the biblical stories which is a literal stumbling block for the human intellect, giving rise to doubts about the piety of David and all the heritage that is centered in his root and his descendants. Many theologians even believe that it would be better if this story remained behind the scenes so as not to be in the public domain. Considering that this historical event was left to us a kind of image designed to lead us to perfection, and also that in Christ Jesus there is no male and female, it follows from all this that regardless of our gender and age in the flesh, the time will come in our spiritual development when the promises that are available will no longer be able to warm our spirits and that we, like David, will need a promise in the face of Abishag, the Shunammite woman, not in order to know him, but to warm our spirits. And that we, like David, will need a promise in the face of Abishag, the Shunammite woman, If earlier you and I, in the story of Elisha, talked about a woman from Shunem, now we are talking about Abishag the Shunemite. This is a girl from Shunem who has not yet known a husband. This is what Abishag the Shunemite means. This is a virgin that has not yet known a husband. There in the story we talked about the woman who had an old husband, but this is the one who has not yet known a husband. The name David means loved by God. His old age in this event is the image of a person who has come to the, to the measure of the full age of Christ, which is well reflected in 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones. And old age in this case is not weakness, but a dignity that all saints are called to possess, regardless of their age, gender, nationality, race, and class. 
The question arises, what is this promise without which we previously got along and that we will need when we come to the extent of the full age of Christ? This promise, in the form of Abishad the Shudamite, is the adoption of our bodies. In the subject of a new body, which will be in accordance with the glorious body of the Lord Jesus, all the other promises we have, but we never thought about and we never were sorrowful and we were never cold in the spirit from the fact that our bodies came. Let us read this place of scripture, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Take a look at what kind of glory this is referring to. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, because this creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also, so the angels of God, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruit of the Spirit, even when we ourselves grow within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and redemption of our body. So we groan, and we wait for the adoption and redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. The hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one see hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. When a person in his birth to the throne enters the state of an old man, and thus receives the right to sit on the throne, and fulfilled promises can no longer warm him, and then, in order for his rest in God to be complete, his spirit needs a promise that contains adoption of his body. But since the body in its current state is perishable, then for such a body, the promise in the face of Abishag is absolutely irrelevant, but it is important to his spirit. Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12, also a parable, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. We're not talking about two people, they're just two people, uh, but we're referring to the cooperation of the spirit of a person with this promise that must warm us when we come to a kind of age. Before this age, we didn't need this promise, but when we come and we sit on the throne and we are sad, truly, we are going to feel that all those promises that have already been, they don't warm us anymore. And then we are going to be groaning in ourselves about for the adoption of our body, for to have the same kind of property that our leader has, our Savior, our Lord. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. So woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, um, the righteous will fall seven times, but get right back up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? The one may have overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And the three four is not quickly broken. Again, 
Even cats outside are taken up and brought inside and taken care of. How many people? Take a look, this is a parable. It shouldn't be taken literally. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? But woe to him who is alone when he falls, but he has no one to help him up. Again, the parable. This is a parable, and although its content in some way may correspond to literal circumstances in the measurement of time, this parable refers to the measurement of the invisible area of our spirit. Furthermore, the fifth function contained in the powers of birth to the throne is expressed in multicolored clothing that results in the anger and suspicion of those who do not have this clothing. Genesis 37 verses 3 through 11, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. So I want to pay attention to the multicolors to the son of his old age. This is also an image. It's not just written just because. This is an image of one Jacob had become old. He had entered into this old age. In his spirit, he became this old age. Then he made a tunic of many colors for his favorite son. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There, were, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, the harvest comes, my sheep arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheep stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. His brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? According to the laws of the ancient times, this is impossible. The firstborn had the rights of the father when the father left the earth. And all the blessings to, uh, to rule the people after the father moved on to the firstborn. And then all of a sudden they say, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brother can be come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Again, one more time, his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I want to draw your attention to one important detail. Part of the fact that Jacob scolded Joseph for the story and interpretation of the dream he saw, it is said that his father kept the matter in mind, which means that Jacob, in spite of the fact that he did not understand this dream, paid attention to his dream and put it in his heart. It was precisely this circumstance that Jacob noticed this word that subsequently made it possible for God to save Jacob in his house from hunger. If Jacob had rejected the word that he at that moment could not comprehend, neither with his mind nor his heart, God would not have had the opportunity to save Jacob in his house. 
But Jacob, being a spiritual man, understood that this word came from the Lord, and although he did not understand it, he put it in his heart. Those born to the throne cannot immediately settle the throne in order to carry out judgment and righteousness from the position of this throne. They will receive multicolored robes, which will be evidence relating them to the category of those born to the throne. At one time, multicolored clothing was a sign of a certain dignity, which was usually worn by royal virgin daughters. 2 Samuel chapter 13 verse 18 And now she had on a robe of many colors for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Uh, the wearers of such clothes in fact were the bearers of the royal estate and the bearers of the interests of the royal family. They by virtue of their position were obliged to inform the royal courts of all the violations of the order established in the kingdom witnesses to which they were. Joseph, to whom such clothes were sewn, brought to his father bad rumors about the behavior of his brothers which he witnessed, and his brothers hated him even more for it. This factor suggests that on the one hand, the form of walking before God among those born to the throne would be sharply different from the form of walking before God as carnal Christians. On the other hand, the format of walking before God among those born to the throne will be perceived by carnal Christians as madness. However, thanks to the available testimony in the subject of multicolored clothing, those born to the throne will begin to receive specific revelations about their destiny, which will be expressed in the fact that they will receive the ability to interpret the language of eternity expressed in dreams and translate it into the language of time. So Joseph, as a prototype of the category of people born to the throne, received from God the ability to see the future and accordingly prepare for this future and meet this future. If there was no person with whom God could cooperate and prepare the ancient world for the troubled days of which the small family of Jacob was at the time, then the ancient world, including Jacob's family, would have perished from hunger. When Joseph interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, Pharaoh made him ruler over all the land of Egypt and gave him the name Zaphnathanea, which means the savior of the world. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah. And he gave him, and um, Joseph, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Genesis 41, verses 41 through 36. He was born to the throne. He was in multicolored garments in the tunic. He was hated. He was envied. He was plotted against. He was finally then just sold. He, won. he was thrown into a pit. He was going to be killed. He asked them for mercy, but no one had paid attention to him none of his brothers did the brother his brothers threw him into the pit not the world and finally one had said well, let's just sell him so that his blood isn't on our hands he was sold in egypt 
Then he ends up in slavery. Seeing the pious life of the rich person, he ends up in prison because he refused to enter into um, adultery with that Pharaoh's wife. But God was with him in the pit in the house of Potiphar in the prison he continued he, con he continued to translate the visions of God and Pharaoh had seen two dreams um, he called all of his wise men and no one could interpret it or say anything about it and then the two, uh, the two people who were in prison with Joseph, one he had mercy over and the other he had destroyed, but one of them had said, Master, I, rem I remember when I was in, when I was in prison, there was a man there, a young Jew, with the bread maker, we saw visions in one night. He had interpreted them. And these... And these Dreams had come, to, had come true, and he said that one will have his head cut off and the other will be returned to his position. And I am again the cupbearer and I'm giving you the wine, but the bread maker was killed. He says immediately bring him to me, it's hastily, go get him. He needed to, they needed to quickly go and get Joseph. He was bathed, he was clothed in good clothes because before Pharaoh, this kind of person cannot be without proper clothes. And Joseph then interpreted his dreams and Pharaoh said, hmm, are we going to find such a person? who would have such a lofty spirit and he gives him the kingdom and we know when his brothers come his brothers come they didn't even notice him because of his glory because his face was in glory this person is not simply a shepherd there were many years that had passed he was 17 years old when he was born now he's over 30 years they had come they had fallen at his feet and they understood that this is the king and they're bowing to him and joseph remembered his dreams and the dreams begin to come to fulfillment and will come um, so that they shall bow down at your feet and will know that I have loved you. Our time has come to a conclusion, although there are other interesting moments, however, we will leave them, and I think that we will have many more interesting moments, and let us bow our heads for prayer. And all of those who desire to gain the promise the promise of rapture. If nothing else warms you and the Lord has become your riches and you truly want to have the morning star that could warm you so that you could see, hear, and understand the language of eternity. 
if you are somehow bound, if you are in a prison, if you are, if you are sick, you need to know that God will lead you out of the pit, He will lead you out of the prison and you will be healed, you will be freed, light will again come into your life. May you bow, uh, bow your heads and bend your knees. The Holy Spirit is here to help you take the promise into your hands. And I will pray along with you, and I ask you to deeply believe in the fact that He is going to give you the morning star. If it has died, He will resurrect it. If you are cold, He will find your Abishag for her to warm you. He will lead you out of darkness into light. He will heal you. He is faithful to his words. Continue to await. Your eyes closed, your hands raised to the heavens. This is a sign that you are ready to receive from God your star. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my sorrow with my pain, my shame. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal me, cover my shame, return, return to me that which I have lost or that which I have never had. I accept your promise in your word, in my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you May he look upon you with his holy countenance, and may he give you peace. May among you fall thousands and tens of thousands around you, but not draw near to you. May all illnesses, all weaknesses be destroyed. May the blessings of heaven come upon your heads and upon your descendants and may be fulfilled upon you and may all the people say Amen. And now, all together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.